0: Bless the Lord. I'll say, Bless the Lord. You say, Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris Brooks. I'm the pastor here. Kairos is a place that we hope you guys can call home. And here in this house, in our home, we're pretty passionate about community. Um, we want uh, for community to be experienced not only in this room on Tuesday nights, but every night throughout the week. And you need to know that we gather underneath the name. And the mission of Jesus. Psalm sixty-two eight says this: Trust in God at all times, O peoples. Pour out your heart to Him. God is our refuge. And I hope tonight this will be a place and a space that you can honestly and uniquely connect to God. A place where uncensored thoughts and feelings will come spilling out of your heart and from your lips, and out at the feet of Jesus. And one of those phrases I hope maybe that'll come spilling out tonight is simply the sentence, I quit. And maybe even more particularly, I quit comparing. So a PBS economics advisor once made this startling observation on a morning talk show. He said this, that if every woman in America tomorrow morning woke up completely content with the way that she looked and stopped comparing herself to unrealistic standards of beauty, the American economy would collapse. And he wasn't like, it it, it sounds funny, it's not a joke, like the billions and billions of dollars that are generated in revenue because we have designed a system to make you compare yourself to others and feel discontent and inadequate. Now, if you think I'm just picking on the ladies here, five days ago, Time Magazine released an article talking about the increasing rates of body dysmorphia among men. And it just said, why are millions of American men so unsatisfied with the way that they look? And so it's an issue across the board, and it's not just, I think, with our physical appearance. We constantly compare our careers, our relationship status, um, our families, our possessions to other people unjustly and in unhealthy ways that leads to a growing discontentment, nagging at the corner of our minds and our souls, feeding us a lie that you're not enough. And it's branded, right? It's been branded into our brains 24 hours. We don't even have to be watching certain things for it to get into a subconscious track for us to constantly be thinking that we need to compare ourselves to unrealistic, polished, and plastic standards of beauty that leave you with one core truth about yourself. You are not enough, and you don't have enough. Here's the tougher truth is, It's working. And you and I are subject to its influences. I think you and I need the gospel tonight to liberate us from that endless track in our mind that says you don't compare, you don't add up, and you don't measure up. I think what's interesting is the Bible, uh, I think, has the key to the human heart and the human soul, and it says that this lie has been going on since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, it's kind of the lie that Satan sold Adam and Eve, right? He compared this small little puny piece of fruit in the corner of the garden to all of God's good, abundant goodness and said, hey, you won't die if you eat this. You can do what you want. If you compare your life to without this fruit, surely you'd be happier if you ate this fruit and you had the knowledge of good and evil, And in an unjust and unhealthy comparison, Adam and Eve ushered in the brokenness that all of us of humanity experience. And it's just a rinse and repeat cycle ever since. And it happens again in Genesis chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be in our text tonight. We're going to see an unhealthy and an unjust comparison. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 12. I'll pray for us as we're turning there. Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And we all say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen? Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. I, I, I don't know why this text has gotten underneath my skin. The last couple of weeks praying through it and preparing. Um, maybe it's, again, because what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is now bearing fruit in Genesis chapter 4. Satan's big tempting line is, you surely won't die if you eat this fruit. And now someone's dead. Maybe it's because uh, I have an older brother And I know there's incredible moments between us full of love and loyalty, but I can tell you when we were growing up, if it was possible and we knew we wouldn't be found out, we would have killed each other. I don't know if that's what that's sparking in me. I don't know if it's because a child is dead and there are grieving parents. I don't know if it's because when you read this text, it's a little bit infuriating There's no reason given for why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted and why the Lord didn't look on him with favor and his sacrifice, but on Abel. And for any of you who have siblings, you know that just sparks your righteous indignation right off the bat. And sure, we can deduce from the text, maybe there's some clues, right? That it says Cain brought some of the fruits um, for, for his offering, but Abel brought the first fruits, and he brought from the firstborn, the choicest, And perhaps we're coming to discover what would later be recorded, even though it hasn't been recorded yet. I don't know if God told them or not. That God's worship deserves our best. That we should be generous. And maybe God's just trying to have an instructional moment here, but for some reason, it drives a wedge between two brothers and their relationship. But I think if I can get to the the heart of the matter, I, I think what's gotten underneath my skin about this text is if I'm honest, I'm Cain. And if some of you are honest tonight, there's, there's a little bit of Cain in you. I know exactly what it's like to rebel and run from God. I know what, exactly what it's like when he or somebody else tries to patiently instruct me in the way that I should go for my own benefit and I shut down and I passively, aggressively withdraw and when I reap the consequences of those decisions, I lash out at the people closest to me. I know what it's like to simply bring God my leftovers and not my best and then blame him because he asked for him in the first place. I, I know what it's like to be Canaan, I'm sure I think some of you do in here and it's interesting though that these brothers are upset at each other and there's this opportunity here for Cain to be inspired by his brother, to learn from him and react appropriately, but he doesn't. I don't know about you. In my darker moments, I do the same thing. When I see my brothers and sisters exercising their giftedness and I see the favor of the Lord upon them, rather than being inspired for me to achieve and to do greater things by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ, I get jealous. I have envy. And ultimately, I get angry at them. And in my bitterness, I start to say things behind their back or underneath my breath and cause division. Maybe it's because I'm Cain. Maybe it's because you guys are Cain and we know what it's like to feel jealousy, anger, angry. And hatred towards our brothers and sisters. And we know what it's like not to be able to master sin, but to have it master us. And I, I've got plenty of stories from my own life that I can share with you. For those of you who know me, I'm not, to, uh, I'm not the kind of preacher who gets up here and tells you, you should be holy like me. If anything, my whole calling to ministry is hey, Chris, just tell your story, and the bar will be set so low, everyone will know that I love them, okay? Once they realize that I've loved you with an everlasting love, they're definitely going to think they've got a shot. So that's not why I'm not telling you that. Um, I came across a story that I think is uh, incredibly intriguing since I'm a child of the 80s and then also I think appropriate for our cultural setting here in Nashville. Um, Listen to this. In the early 1980s, a talented young guitarist was kicked out of a band. The band had just been signed to their first record contract and they were preparing to record their first album. A week before recording began, they fired the guitarist. No warning, no discussion. The guitarist just woke up one day and was handed a bus ticket home. The guitarist was demoralized. He felt betrayed. No one considered his side of the story or cared about how he felt. At the most crucial moment in the band's short career, he was abandoned by those who trusted him most. So on the bus ride back, he vowed to start his own band. He would start a band so amazing and so successful that his old band would regret ever firing him. We've never done things like this, right? (laughs) Just insert boyfriend or girlfriend, perhaps there. (laughs) Um, Sorry, baby, that's my issues. He would become so famous that his old band would spend the rest of their life comparing their band to his and regret the decision and the horrible mistake they had made in firing him. His ambition would make them pay for their disrespect. So he recruited better musicians than ever. He wrote and rehearsed religiously. His desire for revenge fueled his passion. His rage ignited his creativity. Within a couple of years, his new band signed a record contract of their own, and they were finally taking off. The guitarist's name was Dave Mustaine, and the band he formed was called Megadeth. Megadeth would go on to sell over 25 million albums and tour the world over and over again. Today, Dave Mustaine is considered one of the most brilliant and influential musicians when it comes to the genre of heavy metal. Unfortunately, the name of the band that he was kicked out of was called Metallica. (laughs) And as he compares himself to Metallica, Metallica has since sold over 180 million albums worldwide. And they are considered by many to be the greatest heavy metal band of all time. Because of this, in 2003, in a rare intimate interview, a tearful Dave Mustaine admitted that he couldn't help but still consider himself a failure. Despite all he had accomplished, he was still the guy who got kicked out of Metallica. Tens of millions of albums sold, concert given to screaming stadiums of fans... Millions of dollars earned, and yet when he compared, he concluded he was a failure. My question here for you tonight is, who's your Metallica? Who is it that you're constantly comparing yourself to in unjust and unhealthy ways? Where does your mind go that no matter what you've accomplished, who you've become, how the Lord has refined your character, the community that he's placed you in, you're like, yeah, but it's not. I wonder if one of the questions God might have for Dave Mustaine or for me, for you tonight, when we unjustly and unfairly compare ourselves and our lives is simply the same thing he had for Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? It's wonderful in this text when you read it again and again, you'll see that God Even in the midst of Cain's passive aggressive tendencies to withdraw, there is patience, there is love, there is pursuit. He notices him enough to notice the countenance on his face. And he asks him leading questions. He invites him into a conversation, right? And even when we walk away, and I would say, especially when we walk away in our most insecure, inadequate and feeling insignificant moments, God is there asking us, why are you so downcast? He doesn't scold, he doesn't rebuke, he doesn't chastise, and he doesn't shame Cain in his anger, I think it's an important point. It's one that I've had to learn recently, especially raising my kids and dealing with my own flare ups of anger at times. Anger in itself is not a sin. It's an indication that something's off between you and your environment, which is why the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. God gets righteously angry. And I think part of the way that we bear his image is when we see injustice and things that weren't designed the way they were supposed to be designed, that we have an anger, a holy anger that goes, that's not how things should be. But in your anger, do not sin. And in that moment, God gives Cain a gift. He gives him the gift of naming his feelings. He says, why are you angry? He's providing clarity. He's inviting him into a conversation. He's offering him direction. And he instructs him, right? Hey, don't be upset. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. You must master it. Do you hear the patient parent there? He's not telling him exactly what to do. He's helping him clarify how he feels and then he lays out options for him. Here's how you can respond to your anger. You can do what's right and you'll be accepted, but you need to be warned that if you do what you're thinking about doing, sin is crouching at your door and if you act on it, it wants to devour you. But I want you to master it. There's a different way for you to live. There's a different way for you to process how you feel. Cain's response, passive aggressive silence and possibly the ultimate violence that we do in relationships to others. He silently withdraws and walks away until he can find a moment where he can give full expression to his depravity and his desires because he's unfairly and unjustly compared himself to his brother and he murders him. I I don't know why Cain walks away. I don't know why he rejects the gift. And as your pastor tonight, the biggest thing I can tell you is if you found yourself in this room and you found yourself on the circumference of this family and we're inviting you into community, please don't walk away. I, I know there's a lot of you in this room who you're just trying to get your feet wet or just considering the claims of Christ And you're welcome. There's also a lot of you who use this gathering as an excuse not to be involved in community. That every chance you're given, you passively, aggressively, slowly withdraw and walk away. And I just wanna let you know that as part of the family of God, the reason why we offer Bible reading groups, the why, reason why we're so passionate about you getting involved in our missional communities and in our missional activity around the city is simply so that you have a place at the table where someone else can ask you the very questions that God is asking Cain. Where are you? Someone who can behold your countenance on a weekly basis. Someone who you've given permission to ask hard questions, and people who you ask hard questions of. Why are you so angry? Wherever you walk in, why are you so joyful? What happened? How can we celebrate with you? place where you can uniquely and honestly process your life and faith. Where we get into trouble is not when we get angry or upset. It's when we isolate and withdraw. And I just want to let you know, compare us give us a shot. If you're in a community group that consistently meets and holds up the gospel of Jesus Christ, hi, bless you. Don't you dare leave. Stay there. But if you're not, I dare you to compare. Come give us a shot. See what happens. See if it's trustworthy. See if we aren't people who believe in Psalm 62.8. Trust in the Lord at all times, O you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And part of the refuge means the family huddles up together and reminds each other of the healing presence of Jesus Christ in our life. And it also helps us point out the places where, are you sure that's a fair comparison for where you're at right now in your life? Maybe what really kills me in this text, no pun intended, um, that was inappropriate, I apologize, I'll move on. is Cain has the chance to argue with the Lord. He has a loving father who even in his insecurity and immaturity huffs and pouts, you love my brother more than me. He has that moment to launch his anger or his apathy at God. He's got someone who's asking and inviting and creating an honest and unique space specifically designed for him. He's got a father who's locking eyes with him and says, I notice that you're downcast, son. Tell me why. He's got a patient, loving father who says, let me guide you. Let me respect your freedom. Let me respect your humanity Why I help invite you into my divinity. Here you go. Here's your options. Here's your choice. One leads to life and one leads to death. I've had the same conversation with your parents, but I'll have it with you again and his response as he just slowly walks away and ignores that invitation. And some of us are convinced that our silent rejection isn't really a rejection. It's just a procrastination. But I want you to hear this again. Be careful. Because if you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to devour you. It desires you. But you must master it. It doesn't sound like good news, does it? Especially when most of us, our experience is that when we try to do that, sin ultimately masters us. This is why even this text drives us to Jesus because here is someone who he opened up the door freely to our sin and shame and took it upon himself here's the one who because of his death burial and resurrection he mastered sin and its consequences and Hebrews twelve twenty four will tell us this that the blood of Jesus speaks a better name than the blood of Abel the blood of Abel is crying out for justice the blood of Jesus cries forgiveness over you And so someone who was slain for our sins can now be trusted, that we can compare ourselves to God, realize his holiness and our deficiency, and instead of making us silently walk away in shame, we can turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who boldly ushers us in and says, allow my righteousness to count for you. Allow my Holy Spirit to teach you a new way of living where you don't have to hide or compare or complain all the time, but you can discover your God-given, unique identity in my family. Stop comparing yourselves to my brothers and sisters in such a way that it produces shame for you. Rather, let it inspire you and release you to be the person I have designed you to be. Or perhaps, maybe tonight, our best response this text and to quit comparing in unhealthy and unjust ways is simply to echo the prayer that Soren Kierkegaard said so eloquently. And now, with God's help, I become myself. Amen? So what we like to do here is after worshiping and hearing God's Word is we like to take 120 seconds and just reflect and we want to hear the voice of the Lord and so we do that with two guiding questions. What do you think the Lord is saying to you? And what do you need to do in response to that? So we're just going to listen in. And what from the songs that we sang, the text that we read, the talk that was given, what had your name on it tonight? What if the Holy Spirit gave you enough courage and power and fortitude? What if you actually trusted the Lord and poured out your heart to Him tonight? What would he say to you, and what would you say to him in return? Let's listen together.